Welcome to Geek Salad, a podcast about two guys talking about their passion for anything geek, from the digital world to the not-so-digital world. Now here are your hosts, Randy and Jay A. LaRock. Hey everybody, hello and welcome to episode 7 of Geek Salad. I am your host, Randy, and with me always is Mr. Jay A. LaRock. How's it going, brother? It's going good, 2018. We back, baby. We back. After real life took us away for quite some time. Yes. We're on lucky show number seven. Mm. Um. So, um, it was a, a very nice holiday season. Good time to take time off. Of course, it was like pulling my hair out in real life with school and everything like that, which is why we could not bring another show to you wonderful folks out there in internet land. But we're back, baby. It's 2018. We're going to try and bring you as much as we can um how was your holiday sir it was pretty decent unfortunately i worked a lot like yourself <laughs> but you know that, that time and a half helps you know you gotta pay the bills because mm-hmm. i ain't making that all the money in this obsolete gamer thing i just be sure about it we do this for the fans we do it for you guys because we it's love you love. guys it's for right. the love um but uh very very nice uh holiday season um one of the things that I got, which was a first thing I kind of want to talk about in um, on today's show, which was an early birthday gift. And I, I got it as a really early birthday gift because I thought these things were going to be impossible to find because they already were. And that is the old Nintendo Switch. Um, I will say this after playing it. Um, now it's been a couple of weeks that I've had this thing now. Um, owned two games for it. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which, like, you have to get that game if you own a Switch, and Super Mario Odyssey. And I will say, of those two games, hands down, Super Mario Odyssey is the best Mario game I've played um, that's out there. It is super fun, really, really great. Like, it utilizes the the thing. Um, And Zelda Breath of the Wild, by far is the most unbelievable game I've played ever. Now, I laugh because it's like, I tell people, it is essentially Legend of Skyrim. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, it is Legend of Skyrim. And if I had to give any type of negative to the game is how easily your weapons and your shield break, which kind of sucks, but you find so many weapons all over the place. It's not even funny. And I sat there and I've, I've, I've played the game a good amount of hours already. And the first thing that I did was I went out and got the Master Sword. And it is so nice to be able to have a weapon that technically breaks, but not really. So it essentially has an energy meter. And once the energy meter is depleted, it does the animation like it breaks, but it just sits in your inventory. And you have to wait 10 minutes and then you can use it again. Um, and it's neat because every other weapon, you can actually hold a, a, a button and Link will sit there and go like this and pull back with it. And when you let it go, he'll actually throw the weapon away so you'll be weaponless. With the Master Sword, if you have full life and you do that throw animation, when he swings the sword, it basically does like what the old school uh, Zelda used to do when you would have full life and swing the sword and it would shoot a, a bolt of energy out. So it does the same thing as that, which is really cool. Um Super Mario Odyssey, what I love about it is the way that the game itself plays and the whole idea with the hat that you can possess 
your enemies and things like that makes the whole game itself just another dimension of gameplay that's out of this world. Um, but the the thing about the Switch that I will say is amazing is Nintendo, I think, finally hit a home run with the system. Reason being, I say, is if you sit there and you look at Nintendo in general, they've always known what their strong suit was, which was the portable game market. Like, nobody can argue that Nintendo hasn't been, like, the best portable game handheld in all their systems. Yeah. And they've essentially made a system that, hey, I can plug it into my TV and, and play it. And, oh, hey, I've got to go and literally take your controller, slap it onto the side of the, of the actual unit itself, pull it out of the dock, and now you have a portable game system to go with you. And you don't feel like you're losing in quality like some people felt with the Wii U. And that was the big thing that when you sit there and you look at the closest thing that they had to this was where they came out with the game on the Wii or Wii U and they had it on the DS and you kind of had a kind of cross platform, but there never really was a complete continuation of what you were playing. You know, that was that is, I think, the one thing that has made this system amazing to me. You know, because I will literally sit there and I will play. I've, 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 I will play more of it in handheld mode than I do in 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 the dock mode. Because it's like, hey, I can sit there and have it. You know, while I'm laying in bed and I'm just you know shooting the breeze and just playing my game, and just that ability of it. And I mean, I love the fact that you can like just pull the Joy Cons off of it and sit it on a table and just play with the Joy Cons themselves. You know, I have to say with Zelda, one of the things that I really liked is that first when i first saw it I, I only saw like the out world version of it and at this you know at one point i was like wow that looks nice but then i was like man i don't know if i just want you know running around like skyrim you know that felt cheap but then i realized how much they actually integrated the secrets the puzzles that made mm -hmm. zelda great especially when you go into like the little underground areas and stuff the and temples, that's where yeah. Yeah, the temples is where most of the puzzles come from and they were like interesting you know some were really simple and some you actually had a head scratcher in there so i think blending that you know out world open world environment with that gave you that perfect mix because if you really think about it zelda it was open world technically when you're playing mm -hmm. the game running around and then you go into the dungeon and have that and they kept that but gave you that full graphic experience that people expect from games like skyrim I think like what when you sit there and you look at it like to your point like Zelda was an open world but it was still very linear in how you progress through the game. This is completely open like like they basically said you can from the beginning of the game you can run to the last castle and fight Ganon. But they're like you're never going to beat him but you can go there. And one of the things that I found interesting about this game is when I first started playing it and I was in that initial spot that they put you in, I was like, yo, this map is big. Like, holy crap, it's going to take me a while to get around. And then you realize after you complete like the quote unquote tutorial that it opens up the rest of the world that you're like, oh, wait a minute. I'm literally in one little chunk of the whole world. And that to me, when I saw like how big the actual world was, I was like, whoa, this is going to take me a really long time to play. And my first kind of like mission that I did is I literally went to every, I think I got all but one section of the land where I've already climbed all the towers and unlocked the map. 
So I think I have everything but one little tiny sliver of land, which I haven't seen where the tower is yet, to, to, to unlock it. But I've unlocked everything else. And when you look at, like, how big to go from one end of the map to the other end, like, it reminds me of the good old days of EverQuest. I'm like, I'm going to be running for, like, a half an hour. <laughs> you know? And but, I, I just think it was great, too, because there's so much to do. It's not just open space for open space. Because sometimes you can do, you see some games did that. Like once you had that iconic game that had the open world and it was really fun and lots to do, you had other games that's like, we could copy it. But then you realize, wow, this is just a barren desert with maybe a few spots of guys. Mm -hmm. And then more, this is just a hill. Oh, here's finally a town. No, with Zelda, like there's so much all over here. Quest here, something to find here, something to do here. And it, you didn't feel like there was that much just space for space sake. Right. Like you, you had like it was space, was like spaced out, but it had a purpose. And I think like one of the the, the neat things that they introduced in this game is the whole like uh, weather system and the elements. Like if you climb the mountains really high up, like you get into a part where it's cold, and if you're not wearing armor that will keep you warm, like you'll start losing life because you're you're getting cold. Uh, the <laughs> the first moment that i was like what in the world was that the first time i got struck by lightning oh yeah and it was hilarious because i'm like going through and i see the thunderstorm and i'm like cool and all of a sudden i start realizing my sword and my armor like chick chick and i'm like what's going on here and i was like chick 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 and then boom <laughs> i was dead i'm like what just happened and then i realized like oh i got hit by lightning <laughs> i was like holy crap <laughs> it was so freaking crazy. I was just like, these guys have thought of everything for this game. Like, totally blew my mind. Like, I, I will sit there and, and tell you. And, and I laugh because my thought process was, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to find a Switch post-Thanksgiving. And here comes Black Friday. And I remember my I, like, I was just so happy to be off Black Friday. And my wife and I were like, hey, let's go to Target or whatever. Like, we had to go to get something anyways. And we're walking through, and literally in the middle of the store is this pallet of, like, 10 by 10 and probably 5 or 6 high of just Nintendo Switches sitting there. And I was like, wow, I guess Nintendo really did ramp up production on these things. <laughs> and even my brother, who was like... When I sat there and told him, like, oh, I'm getting a Switch, he's like, yeah, lots of luck in finding that after after Thanksgiving on Black Friday. I sent him a picture of it. I'm like, hey, you want a Nintendo Switch? Because he was complaining, like, down there in Florida. He was like, man, it's almost impossible to find one. Oh, man. <laughs> you always get the best toys, man. Yeah. I'm envious. <laughs> that's because that's I'm married. <laughs> My wife loves me. Um <laughs> The kind of other thing that I wanted to talk about was, uh, so this was my Christmas gift for my brother. Um, game here called Charterstone. Um, made by Jerry Stegmeier of Stegmeier Games. Now, one of the things that intrigued me about this game, it is what they call a legacy-style game. So legacy-style game for, for you guys at home that don't know is you play through the game a certain amount of times, and you alter the game itself as you go playing through the game. Now, the way that you alter the way that the game you play is, in the game itself, there's cards that have stickers on them. 
So in this one, you're actually building building towns. Like it's it's a there's a, a kingdom that basically decided, hey, we're going to spread out and head to like an un uninhabited land and build a city. And you play as one of these people as part of this kingdom. So as you go playing, you choose like, ooh, I want to build this building, and you literally peel a sticker off of this card, and it goes stuck down onto the board, and that's now a permanent spot on the board. Hmm. What's really neat about it is I've seen two types of legacy games. There has been one like this where it alters the game itself, and you play a certain amount of games, but then after you're done with that, it now becomes a permanent game that those are the spots on the board. And this one is a worker placement game, so it becomes a worker placement game that you can play with this now-created board. What's really neat is the board itself is double-sided, and it's the exact same board. You can actually purchase a refresh kit. So as you go playing, any cards that you use and all that that you're taking out of this main deck, you put it into what's called an archive. And when you get this refresher deck, you now know every single one of the cards that you've used. And you can now put that back in the main deck and you can play a second time, which is really neat. So how long does this last, though, it's like in, in, before you would have to do a refresh? So this one lasts for 12 games, and then you have your now new worker placement game, which is kind of cool, which is about 12 games is about what a lot of the legacy um, games are now the original legacy game that ever came out that people know the most has been risk legacy so what's neat about risk legacy is that one's actually 15 games long and the way that it works is you play a game of risk and it's supposed to be in the far future and then the person that wins signs their name on the board for the win and then the person that loses chooses a spot and chooses something that happens so one of the examples they gave was there was, uh, I think, like Africa or Brazil or whatever, like in their playthroughs, had gotten to a point where it was producing a ton of resources. So people were fighting over Brazil. And when he lost, he was like, oh, really? And he put a, basically a nuclear fallout on Brazil, and now it obliterated everything that Brazil created. So it's this neat thing because they're saying, like, after you play these 15 games, now you have a permanent board that you play the regular risk on, and all the different things that you've altered in the game stay altered on that board. And it's neat because in these type of games, like, when you – I'll kind of, like, see if I can open it up here so you can kind of see. What's neat about the inside of this, of this game is everything essentially comes in these little, like, boxes – and the game essentially tells you this is when you open these boxes. So I have no idea what's inside these boxes. Like, I know what are in these boxes because these are the characters that you play. Here's my main deck of the game. Here is where I have the components. But these little boxes here, I have no idea what's inside of them. And these little boxes may or may not be revealed to me as we play the game, depending on what happens in the game. So it's really cool that you know that there's stuff in there, but you don't know what's in there. And, I mean, I was reading online of people that played through the, 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 the first 12 games, and then they bought the refresh kit, and they say, like, you know, if you decide to play with a different group of people and you've opened up some of those boxes, like, you already know what's in there. 
but it's still fun to, to create this whole new campaign with people that don't know what's going on. And it's really cool because my wife and I have played one game of it and we're looking forward to playing the next one. And we've already added in stuff into the game that if you were to play the first game of this, you may not get that in your game. And what's neat is, is as you go adding these different things, like the rule book actually has squares that are blank. Then as you go adding these new components and aspects to the game, you start sticking stickers in the rule book that now explain what's, you know, what's part of this game. I've never actually played a legacy game and just hearing you explain it sounds pretty awesome. It's just amazing that at tabletop games, there's so much variety because People that don't know would think, oh, it's how much fun could you have with, with tabletop? There's probably only a couple of different things you can do, but no. With all the different games I've seen people play, collect, seen online, it's like it's really fun. And I see why it's made such a big resurgence where people are actually, you know, buying all these tabletop games and even going to uh, like cafes and conventions to conventions, play these yeah. games. And, and the, the cool thing is, like, I, I sat there and I didn't realize it, but. Um, this guy, Jamie Stegmeier of Stegmeier Games, they literally have five games that they've released. Of the five games, he, Jamie Stegmeier has designed four of the five. Those four games that he designed, I own. And this guy, oh, you got to check your windows. You just got a notification. <laughs> um, this guy knows how to, how to make games. And I have one of his games that I have yet to play, which is Scythe which was a huge game last year at Gen Con. Um, and he, on New Year's Day, announced a new expansion that's coming out for it that's going to create a legacy type of thing for Scythe. And what's really neat is the way he's designing it is he's going to design it where you can literally take all the stuff that you discover in the game, put it back into the boxes, and replay it without having to buy a refresher kit. So you can essentially keep playing this legacy type style of scythe over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't mess up anything on the board. Because that's the only downside I see to this right now is I can sit there and play the 12 games because right now it's my wife and playing. And there is a way to add players in and take them out while you're playing. So if I have a couple of friends of mine that come over and they say like, hey, we want to play and I can add them into the game. And then if they leave and my wife and I want to continue playing, there's a way to automate how they how those characters play. So they're technically playing. But when you look at it, like the if I were to say there's only a downside to it is I can only really play it twice as far as doing campaign wise, and then I have to basically buy a whole new a whole new game to do it. Um but I want to, like, it's gotten to the point where I played this guy's games, all but one of them. Technically all but two, but the second one that his company came out with, he didn't design. So I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, I may play it. I've heard good things about it. Uh, but I so want to, like, just reach out and see if we can interview him. Because, like, I will sit there and say, like, there are very few like, board games that I have that come from the same company. There's only one other company that that I have like a bunch of their games, which is Tasty Minstrel Games, but they don't specifically have one designer that they work with. Like they just get basically fun games of different designers that are making these games. And when you look at it, this guy, Jamie Stegmeier, not only runs this company, but he's designing these games. 
So it's amazing. Like I, I will sit there and tell people like you cannot go wrong getting any Stegmeier game. And his design ideas are unbelievable. Like I think, other than this one, I've heard Side this really good. I haven't even I haven't played that one yet. But I have another one of his called Europa, which it's almost like 1984, the board game. And it's a worker placement game. But the idea that he came up with for this is your workers are dice. And every turn you roll the dice. And I forgot how it is exactly the rule, but there's a specific number that you have to roll under. If you roll over that number, one or more of your of your workers realizes what's going on and they leave. So you lose, you can lose workers. Mm. And that was a kind of like thing of when you look at a lot of worker placement games, the idea is, okay, I want to get as many workers as I can as fast as possible because that gives me more actions I can do. He balanced that out by saying like, hey, if you end up rolling high, guess what? You're going to lose those guys that you just worked hard to get. So it was really interesting to see how he like put these designs in. Like he has uh, another one, Viticulture, where it's about winemaking, and it's a worker placement where you have seasons that you put your workers out. You have specific spots you can put, but you can start growing grapes and crushing grapes and then turning them into wine. And if you leave them in your cellar, they'll age and they gain more value. So it's like it's this crazy like machine that you have to build in playing his games and he just seems like such a like i would love to just sit down and talk with him and just see like how his brain works be something that i'd have to figure out how to reach out to him and, and yeah talk we, got, to him. we got to put that together and see if, see if we can do that I, I i think the i think the fans of the show would like that yeah but that's 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 been one of the things that like I sat there and I played like I'm looking forward to it with my birthday coming up like sitting down and playing more more games and the other thing that I really like about this game is as opposed to a lot of the other legacy games is a lot of the legacy games when you play them like it takes like a couple of hours to play through one game like this thing dude you can cut a game in and out within an hour like easy like our first game my wife and I played it was probably like an hour and a half and that was because we were learning how to play. But I really think like, we'll we'll break out the board and we'll probably have the second game done in an hour. And that's it. Nice. But yeah, so so just in case y'all will go. Had his Charter Stone from Stegmeier Games. Beautiful artwork and box. Like, it amazes me. Also, like, he's he gets some, like, really great artists to work with him as well. So, check it out. You guys won't be disappointed. So, as far as my thing, um, the few moments, and I mean moments of free time that I actually had, I started playing two games that are shooters but have you know, RPG elements. And I find myself torn. I don't know if I like it or don't like it. And the two games were The Division and Destiny 2. Now, obviously, we know the game both have their faults, and mm -hmm. some people hate them. But for me, it's not about attacking the game. It's more about how I feel about the idea of a shooter where you're, that has that RPG element. So what I mean is, is when I'm playing like an RPG or something and you start off and it's like, you know, sword and board, right? And mm -hmm. you think about it this way, that you're, you start out and you might be fighting like a level one you know, rat, 
or even it could be a demon, but it's level one. And you have a sword. It might be a rusty sword or it might be a squire sword or something like that. And as you go forward, you know, you, you get items and you put it on. And I guess maybe we're so used to that that it doesn't seem as out of place. You know, you get a new shield. Even if the shield looks stranger or doesn't look as bright and shiny as the old one, hey, if it says it has more stats or has a special ability, so be it. You put it on. Same thing with gear. But, man, it's like when I was playing, like, for instance, Division. The, in the Division, you're basically – there was, like, a terrorist attack where they put, uh, like, a biological agent on money, and it starts killing people, like, in the, in the New York area. So you go in there, and you're trying to not only kind of like you're kind of like you're kind of like a sleeper agent, and you're not only trying to find out what's going on and stop these people, but there's also like looters and people trying to kill people and all kinds of stuff. So you're running around with all these weapons, you know, shotguns, sniper rifles, handguns. But what's really strange about it is you still have that leveling system. So you might have a guy who has a flamethrower. And he's level one. But if you run to a certain part of town, and for the most part, they try and separate it so you can gradually go. But some areas, you can be like level 10 and run into a level 25. And it's funny because you're running to the level 25, and it's like some random gangbanger with a handgun, but he's just destroying you while the level one guy with the flamethrower isn't. And obviously, in RPGs, you have the same thing where it could be a level 20 rat. And you're like... Why is this rat old to me? But I don't know. There's just something about having a gun where I have a sniper rifle and I shoot a guy in the head and it does 10 damage because I forgot to switch to my newer sniper rifle. So this sniper <laughs> rifle only does 10 damage and the new one does 256 damage. And I'm like, but I shot him in the head. <laughs> or, you, you know, you, you're shooting a guy in the head like three, four times like you're fighting a boss. And I don't know, I don't know why it's hard for me to get it. Because it's the same thing with a, you know, in, in RPGs. You can chop a guy with a sword three, four times, and it's because he's high level or whatever. He has a high block <laughs> skill. He's alive. But for some reason, I don't seem to have a problem with that. But when you shoot somebody with a shotgun, and it's like, oh, it did glancing damage. It's just, I don't know. It hurts my soul. I, I don't know. Am I making any sense here, man? Well, or am I crazy? So, so here's the thing, like, in before the show that we were talking about this and you were saying like the two games that you get this with is destiny and the division. And it's funny because like, I like the division. Like I started playing it on the fight session. I, I got it now on my PC and it's weird because when you look at the two games, it is destiny is a first person shooter that has RPG elements and division to me feels like an RPG with shooter elements. Yeah. And it's weird because like you say in the division, like, Ooh, I sneak up on this guy. We're about the same level and I'll take an assault rifle and I'm, and I'm unloading on this guy. And Oh, look, I fired an entire clip into this guy to kill him. Or like you say, with the sniper rifle, I had to shoot him three times in the head. I'm like, look, I'm sorry. Doesn't matter what type of gun you have. If you shoot somebody in the head, they're going down in one bullet, you know? And that's, I think, where, like, I feel, like, kind of the, the same with you. It's, like, it's cool that it's an RPG, and, oh, look, this gun does more damage. Cool, I'm going to sit there and take this. And and it's neat to get that progression out of it. 
but at the same time, it almost feels like rolling dice on the table. Like, oh yeah, I get another die that I can roll and get damage out of it. And it it just doesn't quite feel like a shooter to me. And that's the thing that's funny about like Destiny is it feels like a shooter and it just has these like RPG elements where, hey, this gun does more damage. So instead of having to shoot five shots to kill him, I can shoot four, you know? And yeah. like, I, I agree with you. I'm like, I'm kind of like torn because like, you, I, I, I totally agree. Like if it's a fantasy thing, it's like, oh, I can understand. Here's a dull sword. Here's a sharp sword. The sharp sword's going to cut easier, you know? And I think that maybe with Destiny, it's a little bit easier because of how it's it's sci-fi. And you could say, oh, well, maybe these aliens have armor and some of these aliens have a shield. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe this energy weapon does different vers- you know, versus this energy weapon. Uh, and I guess it's closer to that RPG, regular sword and board, knights and armor element where you can suspend the belief, which I guess you should be doing as you're playing games anyway. But th- with the Division it really stuck out to me because like you said, there'd be a point where you're run up and, and sometimes there'll be just like spontaneous things going on. Like you're doing your mission and there'll be a spontaneous bank robbery or someone's breaking into a car. <laughs> and then you just, you go up and you select the person and then you unload your clip and all the bullets miss. And you realize it's because this group that's just running in circles around the city is level 20 and you're level 14. And it's just like, you're sitting there and you're stuck in this animation, like, and it's the guy's looking at you like you have a toy, and you just, <laughs> it just, it just feels so wrong. I, I think my favorite thing in that game is where you're like, all right, I'm gonna go to this mission, and you're just like running through the streets, and you just run into a gang of people, like, oh crap, and you yeah. get into this gunfight all of a sudden. But it's like, man, it's just so. It's like weird because I I totally like agree with what you say. And and when I sit there and I think of games like this, it reminds me of the old MMO uh Tabula Rasa, which was from Richard Garriott, which when you sit there and you look at it, like that dude knows MMOs. Like this is the king of Ultima Online, like the great granddaddy of all MMOs. And I remember playing it and I liked it but there were elements of the game that I was just like, hmm. And one of the elements I did not like was to unlock skills for your character. You essentially had to go to different areas and find these like alien stone tablets and unlock them. So the weird thing about it was, is like you knew, because it would show you what letters of these like tablets you had to find, but you didn't know where they were. So it was a lot of, okay, I need the J, the K, and the F. And you'd literally go searching online for somebody who found them and would post the coordinates of it, and then you would just go there and get them. But the gunfighting in the game felt so weird because it wasn't like, oh, I take my guy and I shoot at the alien. Like, it was the traditional World of Warcraft, like you clicked on the enemy and started hitting your skills. Yeah. So it was weird because, like, oh, it's an RPG. Like, the guns are just like, this is your weapon instead of a sword and a, and a shield. And it's a shame that that game died out because it was just like, like, it had a really interesting idea. I feel like the implementation of it was just, just slightly off. And I felt like that in some older MMO games, too. Like, uh, Anarchy Online, I felt like that. <laughs> 
that was one of those games, like you said, like the old EverQuest, where you'd click on the guy, hit your skill, and you have to wait because sometimes the guy would like kind of aim and then you'd see the shots and it would do nothing because of, you know, random number generator. Same thing in the original Star Wars game that came out uh, from from Sony. And that was the same thing. You know, oh, you'd God, have your yeah. trooper, you'd run out and there'd be like whatever, a sand, sand viper or something. You click on it and it's like, blam, blam, blam. And you'd wait to see the little numbers come up. And it's like, yeah. you did two, four, one. And you're there like, what? I just shot <laughs> this little rat seven times with an Imperial blaster. And that, that's it. I took a quarter of its health. And- I, I so I came across on YouTube, and this is like an interesting thing to tie this all together. Of a guy that does this series called Death of a Game, and he actually looks at old MMOs or old games in general that have shut down and looks into like what led up to this happening. And he's done a bunch on like you know, like he did Star Wars Galaxies, he did like a whole bunch of them. And it's really interesting to see, like, he does a ton. Like, I have to give this guy a ton of credit. Like, he does a ton of research. And his videos are usually a good, like, 25 to, I've seen as long as, like, 35, 40 minutes. And the one that was really interesting was he did one on Star Wars Galaxies, and he just recently did one on uh, The Old Republic. And it's interesting because like he'll do games that like people still play them now, but he'll do it on a suggestions of like people that they they tell him like hey you should do it on this game, and he talks about how like when you look at like especially Star Wars Galaxies, that it was the first true like Star Wars MMO where you had like it was open sandbox you decided what you wanted to do. Like, you want to be a smuggler? Cool, you're a smuggler. You want to be a bounty hunter? Cool, you're a bounty hunter. You want to be a Twi'lek that dances at the club and that's what you do? That's what you did. And that was what drew a lot of people to that game. And then when they did that refresh of the game where they completely changed it and now you had classes and all that, they thought, oh, we're going to like, you know, because World of Warcraft is taking off and we're going to get people to come to our game like that. That actually, what's funny is in this guy's research, it drove even more people away from the game. Yeah, And because it changed were, the combat system too. Yeah. And they were saying that like people that played Star Wars Galaxies for Star Wars Galaxies, when they saw them do that, they're like, this is not what we wanted to do. Like we like the old system. And I mean, even even he goes even into the whole like, when they first added in how to become a Jedi in Star Wars oh, Galaxies, yeah. that I remember reading what you had to do, and I was like, yo, these guys are insane at what like you have to grind out to become like a Force-sensitive character. And then I remember the whole debacle that happened that once you created the Jedi, that it was very, very difficult for people to kill you. But then it got to a point that like if you died, you were dead. And then you had all these like clans that would put bounties on these Jedi, yeah, like yeah. millions of credits to kill Jedi, you know. But like that would that that's a thing where like his like I said his series is so great because he really goes into like a whole bunch of different ones and it's like and he did one on Tabula Rasa, and he talks about how it broke down and all that stuff and he even I believe interviewed Richard uh, Garriott about it. And Garriott, 
basically was there for like the initial phase of it, and then he stepped away from it. Like they basically said, "Cool, we we will take it from here." And he basically just had his name on it, and he really didn't know what was going on with it. Oh man! Yeah, as opposed like we to got like this. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to like Ultima Online, that he still had input into the game. I still wish that uh, Ultima Online Two came out. I was sad when that went down in flames. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many games when you sit there and you look at, like, good old MMOs. I, I, I will still say to this day, if there is one MMO that I miss, it's uh, City of Heroes. Oh, yeah. And he did one on City of Heroes, too. And that, man, that game was, man, I missed that game because that was so much fun to play. Like, I remember my two favorite heroes that I had. I had a defender, so a healer. And I suck at playing he uh, healers. But that was the only game that I enjoyed playing a healer. Like, it, it, it was crazy. There's a few things to me right off the bat why I knew City of Heroes wouldn't succeed uh, that long. And one was not enough tile sets. You can't mm. have a game where... You know, it's an MMO, and it's either a warehouse, an office building, a, a laboratory, or the park, or True. a sewer. I'm sorry. So it was like five. And the other thing was, and I didn't learn about this until later, originally in the early beta of the game, it was open. You could pick whatever you wanted. Like, for instance, if you wanted a character that just had all travel powers, and how they worked in City of Heroes is after you reach a certain level, you would get, like, jump, then super jump and then hover, then fly, then sprint, then super speed, and so on, teleport. So if you want to make a character that that's all that they can do, that's it. You could you just pick hmm. you know, travel powers, and that's it. And towards the end, they were like, man, you know, we're worried that people will end up making characters that gimp themselves because they don't have enough powers to compete in later levels. Hmm. And what's strange about that comment is City of Heroes is one of those games where people love to make new characters. Like, people thought that yeah. you made a lot of characters in World of Warcraft. People were inventing characters just to go and dance in, in Atlas City, you know, for, for no reason. So the idea that you would draw people away because they might make a character they don't like or that's gimped and they have to start over, no. They should have went with that original concept that you could pick whatever power you want, no matter what, and just go with it. I think my favorite thing about that was is like if you created like you could what was funny is you could create so many like clones of like Marvel heroes, yeah. but it was hilarious because if you named them the the IP name, they would ban they would make you change your name. Yeah. So what was hilarious is I had a tank who was huge green world wore purple shorts called Bulk. I had a, a, a scrapper that had the claws for his weapon and had an exact costume of Wolverine, and I called him the Badger. Like, it was amazing how you could sit there and make these characters, like, you could customize their costumes. So my, and, and I agree with you. There was people that would, they would just spend time just creating these characters to look like Marvel or DC superheroes. And name them whatever, and they would just play around and, and go through the like I never had a max level character. I think the most the highest I got was in my twenties or something. And I think max level in that game was like thirty or something like that. Think yeah, I think in the end it was forty. And I think, yeah, for yeah. me, I got into the mid twenties when I, you got to places like Bricktown and stuff like that. And I was right. like, by then I was losing interest. World of Warcraft was coming out, Conan was out. 
And I will say this, dude, like if you never played it beyond beyond that, that game, like leveling became a non-issue once they came out with um, this one mini expansion where you could create missions. Oh, yeah. Because it literally turned into like, oh, you're going to run the simulation like a real mission. And it was a rectangular map of a city. So it was building, 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 building in between blocks. And literally every corner or every street that you went over was a group of like 20 or 30 bad guys just clustered together. So you'd grab a group of five together. You'd go into the first cluster, rip through those 30 guys. You go to the next cluster, rip through those 30. And you just literally ran the whole city around. And I remember the first time I did it, I went in as a level 20. I finished one loop around with this like map and i was already 25 like i gained five levels just going around one time and i'm like holy macro they completely broke this game so you had a ton of people that were maxing out their characters running through the end game raids just because you know and then it got to a point where people would would create these missions and just make them harder and harder and harder just to see how far you could go with your your heroes you know i thought that was interesting they did the same thing in the never winter nights game Mm-hmm. They made it where you could create maps, and people made some really interesting stuff, scavenger hunts, all types of stuff. Uh, it's amazing because sometimes you expect that um, players will end up making really terrible things. And obviously there was some that were yeah. bad, but they had a good rating system where there would be votes but from multiple people, and you would see, like, oh, this is actually a well-put-together map. And it's like, oh, this one someone threw together in five seconds just for <laughs> a joke. So it was, it was interesting. But yeah, like, but it's it's like I said, like I enjoy playing through the division, but at the same time, it's like okay, yeah. all right, you <laughs> know, like this is ridiculous. Although it's funny because I I I picked up for the PC the um like the gold edition or whatever it is that has all the DLC in it, and I can tell you with the like the DLC from the get go because of course I had to start all over from the beginning. Did you start getting purple weapons right off the bat now? So I'm like, oh, okay, four shots. Bup, 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 that guy's dropped. Bup, 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 that guy's dropped. Bup, 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 bup. I'm like, all right, I'm cutting through the early game. So you can see how they're like, they're trying to get you to progress through the early game stuff real quick so you can get towards the end game stuff. But I still, I, I like really enjoyed the story of the division. I just finished beating Wildlands. Let me tell you. If you want a game that's like a second job, boy, get yourself Wildlands. That is a third-person shooter. It is open-world kind of like Division, but no RPG. Like it has – I don't even say it's RPG elements. Like you can find different weapons that do more damage or whatever and more penetration and blah, blah, blah. But the thing that I found funny, one of the last DLCs that they came out with, they added a mission into the game where the name of the mission is called The Jungle is Moving. And then you go to this like one area and it's in part of the jungle and you see this girl that's got like blood all over her and she's freaked out and she speaks kind of like Spanish. And he's like, oh, what's going on? She's like, oh, oh, it came out of the jungle and it grabbed them. It was crazy and this and that. And she like starts talking in like half Spanish. She's like, what in the world are you talking about? She's like, ay Dios mío, they're all dead. And then it tells you like investigate in the forest. So then you start going through and then you get to this first area and you find like a whole bunch of like human skulls and then skulls with the spine still on it like clean and they're like what the heck is going on here and this and that you know and then like you go to the next area and you go to the next area and you see guys stripped of their skin hanging upside down 
And they're like, yo, the cartel can do some pretty messed up things, but I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you like investigate the third area. And what do you see? You see a crashed alien ship. And they're like, is that a, no, it can't be. So then like you hear this like roar and then you go out to this section of the jungle and guess who you run into? A predator. Oh. And yo, when I tell you it was hard to kill this thing, it was hard to kill this thing. Like, I must have tried six times. And what's really cool is when I finally got him, you, like, get to the thing and you see him kind of, like, drop down on one knee, kind of, like, slouched over. And you kind of hear him, like, (laughs) and then it, like, the mission changes to, um, like, confirm confirm the, the predator's dead. Now, what's really neat is when you're fighting him, you'll hear running and you'll, like, turn and you'll see, like, the, the kind of like wavy thing of him running through the jungle. Oh, with the cloak, yeah. Yeah, with the cloak. And then what's neat is you'll hear him every so often taunting you, like him in your own voice saying, is that real? Like, just like the movies, dude. Um, and then like what's neat is you see him kind of like slouched over and you run up to him and all of a sudden you see him kind of like stand up and he goes tick, 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 on his arm. And as soon as it's done, you hear him like, and then like your mission is escape the area. And I, it was so funny because I ran out and I just crossed the safe zone and my three AI guys were still in the zone when he blew up <laughs> and all three of them got dropped dead. I was like, Oh my God, I could have died there. It was so funny. And I was like, dude, that was a cool mission to throw into the game. Oh, man. Now I got to check that out. Yeah, look up uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands Predator mission, and you'll see the whole mission. And it's insane. But, yeah, man, I I guess that wraps it up for another Geek Salad. Number Lucky number seven in the books. Woo, lucky number Woo, seven. Lucky number seven. So much good to come. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing more shows, man. Now we have some more free time. Definitely. Uh, but as always, guys, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys. We appreciate every comment that you guys leave us, every thumbs up, and every subscribe that you do. So get the word out there. We'd love to get more subscribers so we can continue to make this great content for you guys. Um, but as always, I'm Randy. He's J.A. Till next time, guys. Enjoy your games. Have fun. Peace. Hey, guys, listen. You like the games? You like the interviews? You like the shows? How about you click on that subscribe button and also give us a like? We really need your help here, huh?